Thank you for joining with us for another episode of Morning Briefings here on the Pipeline Intercession for the President and on our podcast. If you have any dreams that you have about the office of the president, please send them to pip at christiancentershreveport.com. We're so thankful that you all have joined in with us on this prayer journey, and we look forward to standing with you not only today, but in the days ahead. So with that, we'll go ahead and join today's broadcast as we talk about the news and stand on the wall for this nation and the office of the president. Good morning, good morning, everyone. Zach Arskadden coming to you live from North Carolina, and today is a day to pray that the Lord help me hopefully you to keep our emotions in check because there's some things I want to go over that are just mind-numbingly just mind-numbing to say the least uh, just to be nice and we want to put these out into perspective to understand the realities of what what are going on in the stories that we're going to talk about and understand not just what this administration is doing, but what is ahead of us in the days ahead and to be prepared for it. And first, we want to start off in scripture and continuing with our study this week of looking at the perspective of covenants and today asking the question and looking in scripture of what is the Lord's everlasting covenant? What is the covenant that he's made with the people of Israel, and how does it really affect us? And so we see here in Psalms 89, in verse 15, starting in verse 15 is the portion we want to focus on today, in that um, how blessed, where it says here in Scripture in Psalms 89, starting in verse 15, how blessed are the people who know the joyful sound, O Lord, they walk in the right In the light of your countenance, in your name they rejoice all the day, and in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and by your favor our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, and our King to the Holy One of Israel. Once you spoke in vision to your godly ones, and he said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. I have anointed him. With whom my hand I will establish, my arm also will strengthen him. Then the enemy will not deceive him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. So here's a covenant the Lord is making with David and <clears throat> and builds upon the back of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. As we, we understand through the lineage that David falls within that bloodline. And then we go on to read this. That's the positive. Okay, the Lord's gonna um, gonna make sure no um, adversary crushes David, that they don't strike him, that he'll strike those who hate him. And then he goes on on to warn the people later in, in this and talking about how my faithfulness, my loving kindness will be with him, and in him, and in my name, his horn will be exalted. I shall also set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He will cry to me, You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I shall also make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My loving kindness I will keep for him forever. I will keep him forever. And my covenant shall be confirmed to him. So I will establish his descendants forever and his throne as the days of heaven. If his and and that's the positive. Now here's the double side of the covenant. As it is a two-edged sword. <laughs> 
And he says, if his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His descendants shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. And so we see here the Lord's promise of the benefits and the warning of this the the realities of the everlasting covenant that the Lord is has made with David and and Chuck points out here in the prayer point is that he says God made a covenant that David and his seed would sit on the throne and reign forever and ever and as heirs of Christ we share in this covenant promise and today a the point we can take from this and pray is just rest in that peace of you know the fruit of the spirit that we are heirs of this covenant by being grafted in through the blood of Christ and and falling with these promises but then also the double side of that covenant is of the warnings of those who are in obedience so is this is this is the question of how it affects us is that as heirs being grafted in and I, I know you guys understand that, but it's just kind of a reminder in these seasons as we go throughout these festivals and these feasts and we look back and so that we can look forward knowing what's ahead and understand uh, where we fall into this and how this affects us. Okay, so with that understanding of knowing we are grafted in and we are part of this everlasting covenant that the Lord has made with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David as well in the Psalms, we want to continue to pray for this administration because there's even more problems with some of the negotiations with, between Israel and Lebanon, and I kind of want to highlight that here. As more details have come out, we talked about how there would be meetings um, on the 12th in Israel. Those meetings have occurred, and some very, very, very problematic details about this quote-unquote maritime water rights deal between Lebanon and Israel have come out that the U.S. has brokered, pushed forward, and as part of the deal will be the quote-unquote mediary moving forward. So it is being reported that the quote-unquote security cabinet that is meeting about this, a select group of people within the cabinet of the Israeli current government, which is, again, about to be up for grabs in the next couple weeks with their new elections coming on November 1st, is that part of this deal, I actually want to go to what the president himself said, the White House said today, is that, I want to make sure I get this right, is, okay, here it is. As part of this deal, Israel and Lebanon have supposedly, again, supposedly, this is not a finalized deal, a formal agreement to end their maritime boundary dispute and establish a permanent maritime boundary between them. That word, if you can read that, permanent, 
is highlighted throughout any article that's out there. That is, number one, hugely problematic. The fact that we would force Israel to permanently give up water rights and natural resources, not only for an economic standpoint, but from a national security standpoint, um, for Israel is very problematic. And then later on, the president goes on to say that talks about how this agreement also protects Israel's security and economic interests critical to promoting its regional uh, integration. Very interesting there, how we're integrating Israel into the region. <laughs> they're there, and they're defending themselves. We don't have to integrate them in any further than they already are. Huge problems in that, the fact that it's permanent. Um, also, as the Jerusalem Post points out, is that as part of this, Lebanon, the reason they're using the United States is because Lebanon refuses to even acknowledge that Israel exists as a nation to begin with. So this deal is going to be very interesting uh, to see how this plays out in the days ahead. Uh, you also have the fact that the security cabinet is going to decide um, in a full cabinet meeting. So this is a, a portion of the cabinet they met, the security cabinet, and then they're going to go to a full cabinet meeting. That full cabinet is expected to decide whether the agreement will go to a parliamentary vote or go to the Knesset, meaning it'll go to the Knesset for a vote of approval or go to the Knesset just for a review so that they know what the deal is made made of. Uh, very, very problematic um, ideology and understanding that the reason we want to stay on this story and understand this is that the Biden administration is the mediator of this deal. They are the ones pushing this deal. They are the ones trying to push Israel into this land. Those who bless Israel will be blessed. Those who curse will be cursed. This is a huge, huge, huge deal. More than we ever realize. Um, I think it's interesting that our team is there. We're, again, constant communication about this. They're praying um, while they're there in the land. Um, and, and at the end of the day is... The question becomes, and there are those within the Israeli government, um, some who have even sided with the current Prime Minister Lapid of before, where they're questioning the legalities of this. And if you know anything about the Jewish nation is they will do everything within the realm of technicalities to understand of making sure that there is no government overreach, especially, especially when it comes to matters of national security, even though Benny Gantz yesterday um, was talking about how this looks like a good deal. Once this stuff comes out, people start realizing this. People start realizing that Netanyahu is right about this and others are others who are aligned with Netanyahu are right about this and this is very problematic. Hopefully the public can wake up to that. Hopefully Americans, we can say, hey, why would, why would we ever want to be involved in this, number one? We're the drivers on this. And then there's the also fact of in, involved in this deal, which is, I think, being naively discussed is that Hezbollah is not a part of this deal, even though they play a huge role in this, as they're in the southern region of Lebanon and in Syria, is that what's to stop? Since Hezbollah is not a part of this, okay, Leb supposedly the Lebanese government and Israel are making this deal. Yes, a part of this deal is it makes permanent the water disputed water rights that Israel um, is giving up because the U.S. is forcing them to. And now Lebanon has control of it. They're supposed to be giving... Um, economic resources that they find from these oil fields to Israel if they if they find anything when they find anything even though Israel is kind of already in the process ahead of that of drilling oil there 
But let's say, okay, after this deal, is, let's, this deal's made. Let's look, look ahead. Hezbollah wasn't a part of it. They get upset that Lebanon made this deal. They go in, take military action, take over the oil rigs, take over the water rights, um, and don't agree and adhere to this rule in any way, shape, or form. What's to say that doesn't happen? Are there any contingencies about that? Does Israel say, to heck with this deal? What's to say Lebanon even itself agrees to continue to walk out this deal as unfortunately terrorist nations like this don't agree and continue to follow this? Look look at recent history within the past eight, six months with what's going on in Ukraine. Putin said, we're just doing military exercises near the border of Ukraine. And then now all of a sudden he's conquered the lands and started an all-out war going after and continuing to attack civilian assets in the heartland of Ukraine, in Kiev. Very interesting here. And this is why we want to pray for this deal to, in reality, hopefully just fall apart. Um, but the big thing is Hezbollah has not been a part of it. What's to stop them in the future from dealing with this? And then also, huge thing is that the security cabinet and the full cabinet really need to bring this to the Knesset for a full vote for them to get approval because that's as this is our constitution is theirs as well in understanding who actually has the full authority of this and, and, and complete government overreach um, as we're seeing there, which kind of leads into this aspect of the, the big thing the government is pushing up. This helps the world and it's energy crisis that we're in and now you're seeing which this, oh dear God, we need to pray for both Republican and Democrat congressional leaders to wake up to this reality, is that this idea of this supposed bill or amendment of NOPEC after going, basically attacking and having a way to respond to OPEC, Saudi Arabia, Russia, etc., all the oil-producing countries outside of the United States, for their actions of intentionally producing less oil. The huge, 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 the biggest problem with that is, number one, is Democrats would love this because this means that the United States and the rest of the world has to force themselves to go towards this quote-unquote renewable energy, green energy, whatever that really means, while there is still a high demand for energy. And I'll get to that here in a second. But the huge problem is that Iowa Senator Republican Chuck Grassley released in a statement last week saying that he would add the NOPEC bill um, more so as an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act, which Congress is expected to take up when it returns in November. So a lame duck Congress will then decide to do this after the elections. We've talked about problems with that before. And you've also seen this come out. And the reason I want to hammer Republicans on this, because this is a horrible, horrible bill is that you have the likes of Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, Marshall Blackburn, Grassley, and um, Mike Lee from Utah voting to push this out of the Judiciary Committee where it could possibly go to a vote to the House floor and for them to decide to do this. 
The reason that this is utterly and completely stupid, and I do not say that bluntly, and this is why I, I say I need to keep my emotions in check, because of course Repo- Democrats want to do this. Big bad oil companies is their their mantra right now. And and this doesn't what this does is this continues to allow and keep the focus on OPEC as well, they're the problems. Look at how evil they are. When there's no responsibility being taken by this current administration, current Democrats, even current Republicans for allowing it to occur, of not continuing to drill here in America. Going back to several years ago, we were energy independent under the Trump administration. We were not dependent upon OPEC oil. Now they hold all the cards because we just decide we don't want to drill for whatever purpose. We've gone through that here before. But then you also have the prophetic warning from Chris Reed and pointed out last week is that part of his uh, dream back from I believe April was that one of the first headlines was that Middle East oil stands with China, if I'm remembering that correctly. But it was it was that alliance. This does nothing but push OPEC and Middle East oil into the open arms of the likes of Russia, as Russia is a part of this, and China. So we're seeing that kind of play out there. You're also seeing uh, Grassley foolishly, and Cruz, Hawley, Cotton, Graham, all play into the hands of what the Democrat wants of this Green New Deal. Uh, huge problem. Um, and then at the end of the day, the lack of responsibility being taken from the current administration for its disastrous policies on day one of this administration. And the reason this is very problematic is because there's a good article from the Washington Examiner that talks about how the quote-unquote Democrats' green energy fiasco and how they face a fiasco with it is the fact that they're – and I think this, this is a huge point – is – and I'll paraphrase this article in the fact of – the article points out that America has a de- supply and demand problem. We – have a need, we have a demand for a huge supply. And if, let's say, you know, electric cars and everything electric is a good thing. Let's say that is the best thing. Okay, I'm not saying I agree with that. But let's say this agenda of no gas emission cars by 2030, no more um, combustion engines being sold by 2035, all these extremely bizarre and idealistic um agendas being pushed by the World Economic Forum and all this other stuff. Let's say it becomes a reality. You're going to have a need for a higher supply, higher demand of energy that does not come from oil or natural gas. Now, where are you going to get that from? This is the huge question. And this now, if you cut off OPEC, as you've already cut off United States oil and gas... Is if you start cutting off OPEC, now you're you're forcing us in a time of inflation, in a time of economic downturn, to be forced to continue to pay even exorbitant amounts of higher prices, higher taxes, and everything to go towards this Green New Deal, of somehow managing to put up some type of renewable energy resources, 
And the problem with that is that, number one, the government's being involved in it. And number two, you're not letting the free market decide what is actually the best. Is this actually the best thing? You're seeing with the fallout of Hurricane Ian, of these cars that were flooded now with salt water, um, going, bursting up into flames after trying to be driven. Same thing, you could have same problems with combustion engines as well, but they don't burst into flames. You're, you're seeing cars just randomly burst into flames even without having water damage done to them. And, and so this this begs a question of this, and you're looking at, look at California as a prime example of pushing for this, even ahead of what the administration is going for. Continuing to have rolling blackouts, even a, a state like Texas, who has problems in and of itself with its energy sector, is, ha is, is about to have to go through rolling blackouts as well. Because they have themselves a supply and demand problem. They have a huge demand. They don't have enough supply to meet it. And the question is, is, by is the best thing to do is to cut off OPEC and also cut ourselves off at the same time? Very problematic. So we just want to pray for this administration. Pray for politicians and pray for voters in these coming elections to be aware of these issues, number one, which is... A stretch, but also to vote based upon biblical moral values, which would hopefully, if they understand the value of life and those basic principles, then these issues can really hopefully start to awaken. And um, so we want to stay aware of that issue. Next, I want to point out briefly the story because of Hunter Biden and, and President Biden, his responses to an interview made with CNN the other day, yesterday, about the possibility of criminal charges being brought up on Hunter Biden. And he talks about how I have great confidence in my son, he's on the straight and narrow, blah, blah, blah. And he, this is the, the, the path President Biden has taken with his son, as did President Trump take with Don Jr., Eric, and Ivanka. They're going to stand by their, their sons and their family. That's just how it is, whether we agree with what he did or not. I'm not saying that. And how this plays out is you have those on the right. Why aren't charges being brought up? The left did the same thing on Donald Trump. Why isn't this, 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 and this, and this, and this happening? And there are legitimate reasons as to why those things should happen. But in reality, is just like with Donald Trump Jr., the reason it would most likely never happen, and even if it did, let's say they charge him, the president will just give him a a presidential pardon. So it's a waste of energy, effort, concern to see this. Is it problematic for national security? Yeah, somewhat. But what don't we already know about this family that they're already being and have been persuaded, allegedly, by other officials because of this and their involvings and all this stuff? Yet people still voted for him. That obviously wasn't enough of, of a concern for certain voters to vote for him. And, and and so just be aware when you hear all these stories and, and people focusing on this Hunter Biden issue, remember, number one, that the left did the same exact thing as the right is doing right now to Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump. They just went after him because it's a way to get to the president without actually getting to him. And just like impeaching, trying to impeach a president off of nothing because you disagree with his policies is, is a waste of effort, this is a waste of effort as well. So we need to be fully aware of that um, in understanding the realities of this situation. Next is something that is 
I think a slight underhand that people aren't really paying attention to that they should. The Biden administration is going after what is called gig workers or independent contractors because unions want to try to force them to fall under the union category and be employees of a, a, a company in trying to uh, aggressively go after um, these independent contractors and make them be employees so that they can be unionized. This, this is a high standard, a uh, burden of proof for them to go after as the Supreme Court has seriously divided that line and strengthened it. And, and the huge problems with this is the fact that this, if this were allowed to go into effect, this gives more the government control over the employment market um this hurt we because the realities of this situation is that this is played out in California. Gavin Newsom did this about two, maybe three years ago. And it hurt people who are independent contractors or called gig workers who work on a per job, per contract basis. Think of like a handyman. But for the Ubers and and technology sector movies etc a, a bunch of industries would be affected by this and so what you would see happen is you would see companies be forced to not use these quote-unquote gig workers these handyman type people project-based people independent contractors because now they would have to then give them um, insurance health care um, retirement, etc., all this other stuff that employees, when people come into an employment agreement, agree upon. And some people specifically don't want those agreements because they want to be able to have the freedom to only work a couple hours on it here, a couple hours on it there, and not be forced to, you know, be told what to do by said employer. Some people want that. Some people don't. That's totally fine. The, the idea is to not let, force the government to be able to have control over that. So you're going down a road that California has seen is, is utterly disastrous. Um, it ultimately gives the government more things that they can control, overreach, put fear, um, force people to do what they want. Uh, very problematic there. And, and ultimately, no one is asking for this to begin with, um, other than unions. And, and it's we have to hear both sides of the coin on this issue. It's very, very problematic. But then also you would see fewer people doing more work. This is why it's, to some degree, very problematic to continue to raise minimum wage. Um, yes, yeah, somebody pointed out there were a lot of independent journalists that left California for that very reason. Absolutely. Um, this, is, this, this type of policy is very problematic and something you just need to be aware of with this administration. Um, and, and so it, it ultimately, at the end of the day, will stop the flow of commerce. We're going into a, already an economic crisis, and you're saying we're going to hamper people from being able to provide for their families, maybe having a side hustle, maybe they want to be independent contractors. People have built businesses off of doing project-type jobs. Handymen uh, can make significantly more money than being employed and working for one employer and being able to do project by project. Uh, I, I mean, this is the of how our nation was economically built um, from these type of policies as well uh, and to go against that and to force the government's hand into being more involved 
and overreaching into the employment market is is very problematic and really hurts those who might want number one want this uh, but need this as well as the employment contracts maybe just don't work for them um so very problematic there and then last thing something we've been talking about for quite some time is the issue on all this advertisement for abortion and how democrats think this is a winning strategy and ultimately it's not and you have the raging cajun himself james carville come out and say that dems think that this is a winning issue and in reality it is not <laughs> he goes on to say, he says, a lot of these consultants think that if all we do is run abortion spots, that this will win for us. I do not think so. It's a good issue, but if you just sit there and they're plummeting you on crime, uh, pummeling you on the cost of living, you've got to be more aggressive than just yelling abortion every other word. And also the fact of Republicans need to be pushing back and saying, okay, what do you mean by abortion? What type of abortion do you want? Is it rare, legal, and safe? Or is it nine months or past, past birth um, up until the point of birth? And then you're seeing um, a Democratic candidate Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin going out and using this strategy of pushing abortion to hopefully win Wisconsin off of the backs of this. And I'm seeing it here in North Carolina Tell me if you guys are seeing this in your states. I know in Georgia it is as well. This is a losing strategy, and hopefully, and look, you can say whatever you want to say about Lindsey Graham's bill of trying to force the issue and force the debate on this, but Gavin Newsom just came out and said that the people of California need to make it within the state constitution of California a right for abortion within the state of California. And we're seeing... In this, and this is why I want to talk about this gig independent worker issue with the Biden administration, is California tried that. And the president and other states looked to California as an example of what to do within their states and follow, like, tend to follow what's going on in California. So if California is doing that, what, what do you think is coming down the pipeline for other states who want things like this and for the nation as well? And this is an issue, whether Republicans like it or not. That is a winning issue, number one, for them. Losing issue for Democrats because the progressive, regressive ideologies that have come forward now are about abortion up until the moment of birth. And the benefit is that with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we talked about it yesterday, the 66 abortion clinics that have been shut down, some permanently, some are repositioning themselves, trying to figure out ways to allow them abortions to occur that they are being shut down, that life is winning, Americans are being awakened to the reality of this, and that is why we want to continue to pray for the voters to be aware of these issues, pray that politicians have the strength and wisdom to just simply ask a question during these debates and conversations and on the campaign trail of, and, and have the voters ask these questions if politicians won't. Of what do they really mean when they say this, when they want abortion? What, At what point do they want it? At what point are they okay with it? Let them speak. They will tell you eventually if you keep pushing and pushing and pushing. John West talks about be, be three questions deep. Think of three questions. Maybe to ask them in their campaign. Ask them um, about where they really stand. And so I want to end on that. A, a huge 
huge reality that I think um, more people in America, Christians themselves, need to be aware of is that life is a winning issue. And when you stand up for the voiceless, you stand up for those who God has called us to, to stand up for, bringing heaven down to earth and not just waiting to be taken off of this earth. That we can be a light in a city on a hill, as is the Christianese phrase, for those who maybe in this season are dealing with things that are causing anxiety, depression, and, and for them to just lose hope and not have faith in where and what they can do and what God is, has destined over their lives to do. So blessings to each and every one of you. Thanks for following along. Uh, don't forget, uh, we will not have a noon prayer or um, service this week. So let's continue to just rest in the presence of the Lord and the quiet times that we have with him while not a lot of meetings and, and live streams and everything are going on. And I'll be back tomorrow to continue on along as well. So blessings, and I'll see you guys later. Have a good one.